I've got four words that can change everything about your life. It's a pretty audacious claim to say four words that can change everything about your life, but I stand behind it. I'm not too sure how you get your news these days, um, but is there still a, a paper paper in Slave Lake? Oh, okay, there you go. That, that's an exception because uh, newspapers are becoming less and less. A lot of people get their news uh, from radio, TV, or on their devices, some social media app. And I don't know about you, but, but most of the news always starts off with a negative. The bad news gets all the press. And so some of it, we, we, we almost get um, numb to it. The war in Ukraine, now they're talking about the spring uh, offensive that's going to take place. And, and we hear about, about scandals and political tensions and, and all kinds of stuff. And by the way, uh, when you click on whatever social media you click on, there's a built-in algorithm that will give you just more of the same. So if you like cat videos, I don't know why you would. I don't like cats. I'm allergic to them. If you love cats, please forgive me. We'll be together in heaven, but on earth, we're going to have a little bit of attention there. Um, but if you click on a cat video, you're going to get more cat videos. So if you, if you click on scandal stuff and some whatever, you'll get more of the same because there's an algorithm that, that just feeds it to you. But imagine if you opened up the newspaper in Slave Lake or you turned on the 6 o'clock news or you went to your, your go-to media app, and, and the headline, the first thing you heard were these words, you are saved by grace. Imagine. You are saved by grace. Now, that would be good news. That would be good news. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, going, he said four words, and he just said five. The preacher can't even count. Those are not the five words I'm talking about. The four words I'm going to talk about are built upon those five words and really comes down to one word. Are you confused yet? Good? Okay, good, good. So um, if you have a Bible, you can turn or swipe with me on your electronic, your digital Bible, to Ephesians. Ephesians is this letter in the New Testament, and it's written by a guy that we refer to as the Apostle Paul. The first time we meet him in Scripture, his name is actually Saul. He was Jewish by birth. He, had, he was a dual citizenship, citizen. Uh, he had Roman citizenship as well as being Jewish by birth. Um, he was uberly religious. Like he was really into Judaism, big time. In fact, anything that was threatening Judaism, he'd be, Saul would be all over it. In fact, when we first meet Saul in the book of Acts, he's actually going hunting down and persecuting these people who are now following Jesus these Christians, because he thinks they're offending the, 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 the Jewish faith that he grew up with. But one day he meets Jesus and everything changes, including his name. He goes from Saul to Paul, and he will spend the rest of his life traveling around telling people the story of Jesus, who he was, what he said, and what he did. He can't stop himself. And as he goes about and tells the story of Jesus, there are people who, who hear and who, who respond and who agree, and then places like this pop up, churches pop up, where people who've come together around Jesus Christ, they begin to come together, and they, they talk about Jesus, they worship, and churches are birthed. And as Paul becomes older, um, Paul then begins to be prompted by people, by the Spirit of God, to write letters to these groups of people scattered across what we call Asia Minor. Turkey today. And in this one letter to uh, the people at Ephesus, he writes and 
here's where we hear what he has to say. So I'm going to read chapter 2 of Ephesians, um, 1 through 10. And so if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Keep your Bible open, because you may get bored listening to me. Just read the Bible. It'll be good for you, okay? Uh, and you were, he says, and you were dead. Hear that. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit, the algorithm, now working in the disobedient. You too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our, our flesh and thoughts, and we are by nature children under wrath as others were also. But, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by... Well, let's try that again. You are saved by... He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by... Well, you guys are good. You are saved by grace through faith. This is, that is not from yourselves. It's, the, it's God's gift. Not from works that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You are saved by grace. You are saved. Saved. So the first two words of the four, and one word, there's going to be three two-word statements, and the one word's going to be used all, th- so you can't count it twice, okay? So only four words. And the first statement is this, saved from. You and I are saved from, listen, the word saved, the, the definition is this, to keep safe or rescue someone or something from harm or danger. That's what saved means. Hear it again? Uh, to keep safe or rescue someone or something from harm or danger. And so to be saved means you're saved from something. So when I was about six years of age, uh, our family had a cottage on Lake Ontario. I'm from Ontario. Don't hold that against me. I got saved and moved to Alberta, okay? Um, but but our, our church family had a camp, a, a cottage at a church camp on Lake Ontario. Uh, it was early in the season. There weren't a lot of people around. I was there with my mom visiting another family at our cottage. I was actually at my grandparents' cottage. Um, very few people on the grounds. Dr. Olson was there. He was actually painting his cottage. And at one point in time myself, six years of age, I went down to the waterfront where there used to be some long docks where people would put their boats. And so there was this long dock, and my, this little girl who was my age, who's visiting, we went and found an empty paint can from Dr. Olson, because Nintendo Switch had not been invented yet, okay? So we found an empty paint can, and we got some, some, some sticks, some branches, and went down to the very end of the dock, and we had this can floating in the water, and we were manipulating with our branches. I don't know what was going through our heads, we were being imaginative as kids. We were playing with this somehow. And at some point in time, I don't know what happened. I don't know what the issue was, but there was a disagreement between myself and this little girl at the end of the dock. And before I knew it, she had pushed me off the dock into the water that was well above my head, and I didn't know how to swim. I still, when I'm in deep water, I get a little bit of a panic going on. Because I was going up and down, up and down, screaming when I got broke through the water, back into the water. She was screaming. She should. It was her fault. 
I'm just saying. I'm not bitter. I'm getting some counseling for that now. Um, But all of a sudden, Dr. Olson heard the screams. And three or four times up in the water, all of a sudden, a hand reached in and grabbed me and saved me from drowning. If Dr. Olson hadn't saved me from drowning, I wouldn't be preaching tonight. We're saved from something. If you're saved, it's not just a neutral thing. You are saved from something. And Paul has given us all the things that we're saved from. If you're paying attention as you walk through this, he goes, first of all, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. There is no spiritual life in you. Oh, there may have been a pulse, but there's no real life happening inside you. You were dead in your trespasses. And, and, and God saved us from being dead in our trespasses. Romans 3.23, also written by Paul, he says, every one of us all have sinned and fallen. So, so sin is a universal condition. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God. Universal. And he goes on in chapter 6 to say, and the price tag, the, the cost of, of sin is death. Well, we've been saved from that. We were dead in our trespasses. There was no real life happening on the inside, just a pulse. And we've been saved from being dead in our trespasses. Paul goes on to say, not only that, uh, previously, when we were dead in our, tre- in our sins, previously we lived according to the ways of this world, the power of the air, the algorithm, the spirit now working in the disobedient. I've met people say, I, I don't want to give my life to Jesus because I want to do my own thing. I don't want to give up my freedom. Well, I've got news for those people. You're not free. You think you're doing your own thing, but Paul says, before we were saved, we were living in a meaningless way. It was meaningless living, and we are being manipulated by the the spiritual algorithm of this world. You think you got freedom, but you really don't. So I'm saved from being dead in my trespasses. I'm saved from meaningless living. And Paul goes on, we were, we were living fleshly desires, carrying out the, all, out the inclinations. Listen, before Jesus, you're just living according to your glands, your appetites, your addictions. Oh, you think you're free, but you're not. You're being manipulated by these things. You're, you're living this life out just for fleshly desires, carrying the inclinations of your, of your body, your addictions. Paul says you're saved from that. You're saved from being dead in trespasses, saved from meaningless living, saved from these addictions, these desires that just drive your life. And then the big one is this. He says, and by nature you were children under wrath. Oh, I know that's not a good word to use these days. We we don't like talking about wrath, right? But Paul says before we met Jesus, we by, by nature were objects under God's wrath. I live in Shira Park with my lovely wife, Pam. Uh, we'll be married uh, 39 years this July 7th. She's a saint for being with me for that long. Um, uh, she was only five when we got married, so she's still very young, just for the record. Um, you've heard that pastor say that before, right? We live in Shira Park. We have one of those super mailboxes. Maybe you have one too. So one day, I walk to our super mailbox, and I open the box. This is about a year and a half ago, and I pull out the stuff in the mailbox. Sometimes it's not there because I think they just decided not to work today, but there was stuff there the day. I pulled it out. There's a bunch of junk mail that I don't want. Uh, my wife subscribes to one magazine, and, and her ma- I, oh, she'll be happy to see that magazine. That's great. Uh, that's a bill. And then there's this kind of nondescript beige-ish letter with a little window with my name and address in the middle of it. And so I, as I'm walking, 
walking back to the house, I, I opened that one, and you'll never believe it. Um, so someone was so thoughtful, they were so kind, I was out driving one day, and they decided to take a picture of my car while I was driving. Isn't that, isn't that thoughtful? It's just so, so kind. They, they told me the day, they told me the, the hour, they told me the, where I was at that time. <sighs> yes, it was a photo radar ticket. And I know exactly where it happened. And I know I was meeting Steve Herzog, the former president of Vanguard College. And I was driving down back to the school. And there's a place where it goes from 60 to 50. And I missed that sign. And I was doing 63, which is a problem to begin with, even if it was a 60. But, um, and there it is. Listen, folks, that photo radar is wrath. It's a consequence. I, I broke the law, and there's a consequence. That's how life works, even in Edmonton. With photo radar, come to a street near you. Paul says that because before, before we were saved, we were under wrath, we were living in sin. Since we've been saved from being dead, meaningless living, our addictions and glands, and the wrath of God. So, next pairing of words. But we're not just saved from something, we're saved by something. You are saved by, yeah, I stuck that one up on you, I'm sorry. But God, who's rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ Jesus, even though we are dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. But God. I, I grew up in Sunday school. We have kids ministry now, but it was kids ministry then, but it, just, it was called Sunday school. And as a little kid, I learned the definition of grace and mercy. Mercy means I don't receive what I deserve. And grace means I receive what I could never deserve. And apparently God is rich in both. God who's rich in mercy because of his great love for us, we are saved by grace. Wayne Grudem, our students love paying big money for our textbooks at Vanguard College. They love that. And the one that they use is called by Wayne Grudem. It's a systematic theology book. And here's how he defines grace. God's goodness towards those who only deserve punishment because they are sinners. You hear that? God's goodness towards those who only deserve punishment because of their sinners. Because they are sinners. Another German theologian, Burkhoff, says, it's God's free, sovereign, undeserved favor to love or love to man in his state of sin and guilt, which manifests itself in the forgiveness of sin and the deliverance from its penalty. Wow. That's what grace does. Grace forgives me of sin and delivers me from its penalty. We are saved by grace. Before I moved back to Alberta, I lived here before uh, when I was in Bible college myself. And, um, but we were back living in Ontario, uh, Toronto area. And, and I was at a course. Uh, it was a one week long intensive. I was working my master's at the time. And, and uh, so it, it's Monday through Friday. It's a really long, grueling day, grueling week. And, and it was Thursday, and I, I happened to be the chair of the board that was called Shepherd's Care in Toronto. And, and I had a committee meeting at Shepherd's Care in Scarborough. Class got over, over, got over early, so I was so excited because if I get there, there, I can get some work done before the committee meeting, and I was really excited. So I, I pulled out of Tyndale. Uh, this doesn't matter, but I, it's, it's a real place. I, I turned south on Bayview Avenue and started speeding towards Shepherd's um, and as I'm speeding down Bayview Avenue, one of my fellow classmates, she was a Salvation Army captain. So I waved at her as I sped past her. <laughs> and, uh, and about two blocks later, 
out from the side road, steps in a police officer, he does this. So I, I pull over. By the way, the Salvation Army captain, she, she waved back at me with a really bad smile on her face. I think, I think it may have been sin because she, she was enjoying the moment way too much. And so I pull over. The officer comes over. I open up the glove box of my uh, 1998 Honda Accord, and it felt like an archaeological dig. There was so much paper in that, 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 that glove box. It was unbelievable. And as I'm in there, I cannot find my most recent insurance slip or my registration slip. Current ones. So at 50 minutes, I drive away with not one, not two, but three tickets. Not a good day. But the officer said this. He said, you know, so he said, Mr. McKnight, you sinner. Listen, I was speeding. I was guilty of sin. Like, there's no question about that. I was caught speeding. And he goes, you know, if you set a court date and if you show up with the, with the right documents, assuming that I have the right documents, and I did. I just couldn't put my hands on them in that moment. Uh, he says, if you take it, do a court date and bring those, they may, they may waive the two other charges. So the first time in my life, I go to the courthouse to book a court date. I've never done that before. I've had friends who have done it before, but, but I had never done it before. So I, I show up there, and, and the day I show up there, you go to this room, and it's kind of this, this, this um, three-sided room, and all the sides have just people behind plexiglass. There's, there's wickets, like, like almost a bank. And all you're doing today, at that, that point in time, all you're doing is trying to get a date where you can show up to court. So while I'm in there, and the place is there's a lot of people breaking the law. That place is filled with people. It was unbelievable. But there's a large, uh, a very large, tall, Orthodox Jewish man in there with a booming voice. Again, all you could do that day was book a court date. But I could hear his voice booming. I want Moisey! I want Moisey! I'm going... I'd like a little mercy myself because I'm guilty of sin. Like I've been, I was speeding. I'm guilty of sin, but I'd like some mercy too. And so uh, I get a court date. It's six months down the road, and I show up at court. And again, you wouldn't believe it. There's a lot of people breaking the law because there's a whole bunch of us waiting to get in this courthouse. It was just really, really, really weird. Weird. So I finally go in, and 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 I've never been there before. I don't know the deal. I don't know the, don't know the drill. But I you lined up to the public prosecutor to check in. And the closer I get, I can hear this woman saying to people, would you plead guilty to a lesser charge? It'll be less money and less points. I'm going, that sounds like mercy to me. I'll take that. I'll take that. And so I get there. She says, would you plead guilty? I was guilty of sin, folks. I was speeding. I confess that. I, I know you're thinking, photo radar, now this, like, Pastor Danny, you brought the wrong preacher to Slave Lake. <laughs> Uh, no tickets on the way up here today, and we'll pray for no tickets on the way home tomorrow. Um, so I, I, do, I said, yes, I'll plead guilty, because I was guilty of sin, folks. I was guilty of sin. So I sat down and waited my turn. And at one point in time, finally, um, my name is called, and so I go to the front of the courthouse, and I stand in the middle, and the judge is on a higher place than me. And as I'm standing there, all of a sudden I heard the most beautiful words from off the side. I heard the words, officer not attending, all charges waived. <laughs> Folks, understand, I was guilty as sin. I went looking for mercy, and I found grace. And that illustrates my life and your life. Paul says we are saved from all this horrible stuff 
We're saved by grace. It's not your works, nothing you could do. You can't boast in this. It's the gift of God. The gift of God. It's so simple that some of us actually struggle with this because we feel like we want to do something to make us worthy. I, I got to do. You can't. Paul says it's a gift of God. It's grace. You can't do a thing. You can't boast about this. You just, with gratitude, receive the gift of God's grace. Some of us, if we're not careful, especially church people, I love church people. I am a church person. But if we're not careful, we slip into performance-based religion trying to be good enough to make God proud, to make God happy, to maintain, to achieve or to maintain his approval. Folks, you can't do enough good stuff. You can't attend church enough. You can't give enough money. You can't do enough good works. You can't to earn this. It's God's gift to us. And it should make us feel guilty, but it should make us feel awfully grateful. Awfully grateful. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace, the gift of God. Listen, grace is something else. It's big, it's powerful. In fact, there's a rumor around that it might even be amazing. Have you heard that rumor? Uh, I wish I had time. I don't. But let me just say some other things that Scripture says about grace. Again, back to Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says he was going through a struggle, uh, his own life, and just trying to figure things out. But he goes, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Mark midnight may not be much, but I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm not, our world loves these self-made people, self-made man. Uh, I, that's not me, folks. I'm a product of grace. And so are you. Or so could you be if you're not already. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's talking about a, a thorn in the flesh. He's struggling. He's going through a hard time in life, and it's not getting easier. Uh, and in that moment, as he's praying to God, God says... Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. I know sometimes we get really impressed when, when the preacher tells us the, the deep meaning of Greek word. You want to know the deep meaning behind the word sufficient? Enough. God's grace is enough for you. Like, whatever, Paul was facing some hard things in his life. He talked about the, the thorn in the flesh. Listen, whatever you're going through, whatever, and a group this size, there, there's got to be some people who are going through some difficult, hard times. Whatever it is you're going through, Paul, God says, my grace, listen, friend, my grace is enough for you. It's enough. It's enough. Titus is told, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And grace not only brings salvation to us, but it instructs us how to say no to ungodliness. Grace actually helps him to live the life that God's called him to live. Peter says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a bumper sticker. It's not just a lyric to a song. But we can actually grow. We can grow in God's grace. Like, the more you understand grace, it'll blow your mind and it'll change how you live. So we're saved from something. We're saved by something, but we're not quite done yet. It's verse 10. For we, you and I, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We've been saved for something. Saved from, saved by, but now we're saved for we are God's workmanship. Uh, one translation says, 
we are his masterpiece. Another one says, we are his handiwork. His, his thumbprint is all over our lives. The passion says, we are his piece of poetry. The late Eugene Peterson in the message wrote it this way, God does both the making he made us and the saving. He saves us. He creates us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work that he does, the good work he's gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. He saved us with a purpose in mind. He saved us for good works. He saved us to do something. He hasn't saved us, listen, He's not saved us just to come to church and to sit on our blessed assurance. We're saved for something. For good works. So what are these works? What are these good works that we're saved to do? Well, um, let me suggest that the good works that we're saved to do is the very work that Jesus came to do. If you go back to Luke chapter 4, um, Jesus, he's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's led by the Spirit, which is all good to hear because tomorrow's Pentecost Sunday. He, he's, he's filled, he's led by, he returns in the power of the Spirit. He goes to the synagogue. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah, but the translation says he's given the scroll of Isaiah and he looks exactly for the verse that he wants to read. And so he finds himself in what we we call Isaiah 61, and he reads these words, The Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the good works that you and I are saved for. It's not just the paid professionals who do this work. Like, Like, let's get over that right now. Um, the, the paid professionals, and I'm a professional, I'm really grateful that I've been paid to do what I do as a pastor, but, but Paul says in, in later in the same letter, he says, the pastors, they're given not to do all the work, but to help you do the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is the work of Jesus Christ. We get to continue the work that Jesus started, and we do it in the power and, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We've been saved for a purpose to do these things that God's called us to do, saved from, saved by, and saved for. And these are things that we are to walk into. So let me just try to bring some conclusion. That'll make somebody happy. Oh, he said the word conclusion. The big thing, the obvious place to start tonight is the fact that we are saved by grace. Um, Because I was coming to Slave Lake, uh, this week, one day while I was doing some work in my office at Vanguard College, I, I had my computer on to the YouTube channel, and I was listening to Pastor Danny Brown preach, just to kind of make my connection with this, this church. It's my second time to be here. Hopefully, there'll be a third if I don't speed too much. And in that message uh, a week ago, two weeks ago, commitment to the church, and he mentioned that there was 34 people this year who had come to faith in Christ Jesus. And he said, actually, the number is 38 now because four people last weekend gave their lives to Jesus. That's better than any team winning the Stanley Cup, just saying. So if you're here tonight and you're here and you've never actually received the gift of grace, the gift of salvation from Jesus, you could receive that tonight. You don't have to earn it. It's not going to cost you any money. You receive the gift of God's salvation by grace. 
That's it. You're here because someone made you come or invited you to come or you've been coming to this place and you're, you're exploring and you keep coming because when you come to this place, you, something inside of you just begins to light up and you feel good. You're feeling the Holy Spirit. You're feeling the love of a community of faith and it's drawing you. That's good. So would you just close your eyes for a moment, please? And closing your eyes is not any spiritual, mystical thing. It just it closes off the eye gates for distraction, provides a bit of a private moment. If there's anyone here tonight, and because I don't know who you are, um, but you're here and you've never actually crossed that faith line. You've never actually received the gift for yourself. You could do that tonight. And so that's you. You can either do two things. You, if this is a private moment. You can either just raise your hand, keep it up for a moment, or, or just lift your head and stare at me till I see your eyes, and I'll respond to you. Best thing ever, the best thing ever, the best gift you'll ever receive is the love of God. Um, I'm going to ask, if you've already made this decision in your life, that you could maybe pray these words with me so they'll know that they're in good company. Father God, I know you love me, and you sent Jesus to show it, to demonstrate, to take my place, and to forgive me of my sin. God, I confess my sin. No one has to convince me. I'm so aware of my sin, and I can't fix it myself. But I believe in the gift of God, grace through Christ Jesus. So come into my life right now. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me a brand new person in Jesus. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for your salvation. I'm your child. I'm going to walk with you. In Christ's name, amen. I'm not done preaching yet. I'm getting close. I was 14 years of age, and my dad was a pastor. It was called Ottawa Bethel in Ottawa. Um, our church wasn't configured like this. It, was, it, it would be more like this, the platform was down there, um, with two aisles, a big center section that went all the way back, a balcony up top, and there's two overflow sections on either side of the back uh, that they would open up and have chairs in there. And so I was 14 years of age, and uh, I was serving as a Sunday school bus captain. Are, aren't you impressed at my spirituality at the age of 14? Yeah. And, and what I meant, we, 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 we brought kids to our church for Sunday school on Sunday morning on buses, and after the after Sunday school, we would take them home. And so my duty as a Sunday school bus captain was to be on the bus and basically make sure that no one died on the way home. That, that was my duties. And, and uh, I did it because Bob Williams was the bus driver. He oversaw all the buses, and he was just a really cool guy. Uh, and after we dropped off the kids and dropped off the bus, on the way back to church, he would stop at Harvey's and buy us fries and a shake. So now you say, oh, he's so impressive. He's doing all this spiritual work for such good motivation a Harvey shake and some fries. Um, so by the time I'd get back to the church, all the worship would be over, and oftentimes even half the message is over. So I'm in the back, that corner section, 14 years of age, reeking like Harvey's. And Al Bowen, who worked in the province of the Quebec, which is still a place where there's a small minority of people actually know and will follow Jesus. Um, he finished preaching. I, I, didn't, I wasn't there for the worship. I felt no goosebumps on my favorite song being sung. 
I haven't heard the message. I've heard just the conclusion of the message. But that morning he said, I believe this morning there's someone here that's being called to be a pastor, into full-time ministry, he said. We are a Pentecostal church, and I, I don't know what all happens at Abundant Life, but uh, in our church, in a Pentecostal circle, it's not unusual, when, especially in missions, you go, who wants to give their life to Jesus just to serve him wherever, whatever, and, and we all kind of flood the altars, and there's tears, and there's a good song singing. It wasn't that kind of moment. There, there was no herd of turtles going to the altar that morning. He said, there's one or two people, and I'm in the back row over there, smelling like Harvey's, but knowing that God was saying, Mark, it's you. I'm calling you. In my mind, it probably felt like a Hollywood movie where everything kind of goes in a slow motion. It was about 15 minutes long. It wasn't. It just felt that way. I'm sitting back there going, I've missed the worship. I've missed most of the message. I'm the pastor's son. What's that going to look like? Too cliche. Too corny. I'm serving you for fries and shake. Like, Lord, um, but I just knew in my heart God was saying, Mark, I'm calling you. And I finally got up from that back row of the overflow and began to walk down. And with every step, it just became real, real. I got to the front, and I just kind of knelt in a bit of a puddle and just broken before God. Bob, a young adult who is a real godly guy and had been an influence in my life, I remember him coming and just praying for me and affirming the call of God. I tell you that story because grace does that. And I tell that story because not just because Vanguard needs students. It's because the church needs workers. And, and whether you're 14 or 44 or 64, I had one young lady start her four-year degree at the age of 60, responding to that call of God. If God's calling you, I just say, say yes. Say yes. Moms and dads, if your kid is feeling called, would you be willing to say yes to? I meet some parents go, I don't want my kid, kid to go to ministry. I want them to work in the oil patch and make big dollars. Well, you can make big dollars or you can live with kingdom impact. You choose. So salvation. Some may be called to vocational ministry this weekend from Slave Lake. Wouldn't that be cool? But you're not off the hook. I'm already saved. I know God hasn't called me to be a pastor. Let's wrap this thing up and go home. Sorry, not quite yet. Because every one of us have been saved for a purpose, for good works for us to walk into. A few years ago, there was a really popular game out. I don't understand it because I never played the, the, the card version of it, but it was Pokemon Go. And people went all over the city with their phones trying to Catch Pokemons, whatever that is. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, uh, or ironically, a lot of times I'd see people in front of churches because <laughs> that seemed to be a hot spot to catch Pokemon Go's. And they're, they're outside the park church in Sherwood. I'd see them at Sherwood Park. And they're all there with the phones trying to catch a Pokemon. Apparently, Vanguard has a Pokemon gym. I don't know what that is. I'm still trying to get some lease money from them. I, I, I don't know what that is. But people got serious about going around and, and catching something imaginary on their device. Can I stir up your spiritual imagination? You see, starting Monday, God's got some good works out there waiting for you to walk into them. You can just go through life, same old, same old, and just go through routine, or 
You can get up Monday morning and go, hey, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm spiritually listening. I want to be sensitive. It may not be some flash of light and you're preaching to 5,000 people. It may not be that. But it may be a redemptive conversation over coffee, over a back fence. God has saved us to serve him. He saved us to join Jesus in the work that he began. If you get to the book of Acts, uh, Theophilus, the letter says, all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, what he, Jesus began now continues through you and I, the church. He's got stuff for you just to walk into this week. There's a few times as a pastor I get a call from someone saying, Pastor, I, I've been talking to my neighbor. I think they're ready to receive Jesus. Would you come over and pray with them? I'd go, heck no. Strong language, I know. No, I won't. You pray with them. God's been using you. You pray with them. Like, like folks, there's nothing better than that than letting somebody experience God's grace for the first time. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, I thank you for grace. We are what we are by the grace of God. No question. Thank you, Lord, that we are saved from death, sin, and wrath. We're saved by grace, your gift, that we just get to receive. And God, it doesn't end there. You've saved us with purpose in mind. I pray right now, I pray in the name of Jesus that we might be people who'd be attentive to the Spirit of God and these coming days that we would see and experience those good works and that we'd be ready and we would step in. I pray, Lord, for abundant life. I pray, God, that you would just, I pray for the abundant part, that you would multiply. Lord, I thank you for the 38 who've already made a decision for Christ and we pray for more and more and more, not to toot our praise, but to expand your kingdom. We ask this in Christ's name.